You're listening to the Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit MarathonChurch.org. We hope that this encourages you and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. All right, all right, all right. It's good to see you guys today. Um, Thanks. I, I don't know how you guys feel about worship, about music, but I'm like, after God a revival, we could just pray, we could just go. That would, it would be, we would have been fine right there. Uh, that song just really moved me. And of course, this video moves me in a great way. It's great to be with you guys here today. And uh, can we just say again, uh, hi to everybody in the atrium again. Just say, hey, atrium. Hey. Everybody watching online, thanks for joining us. Hey, and if you don't have our app, make sure you get our app on your smartphone. It's the best way to keep up with everything going on here at, at Marathon. It's the best way to share content with your friend and loved one as well. And it's the easiest way to follow along with my message today. So we're in this series, Love Revolution, and we're, we're trying to get a new perspective on life. We're, we're trying and attempting to discover what, what it means to be a Christ follower that loves as Jesus did. And so we're, we're trying to change, and, and we want to see the world change, and we know that it begins with us. It begins with me, and it begins with you. The love revolution is all about simple acts of God's love. So Brian kicked this thing off, and uh, he was talking about a revolution, and he defined it for us. He said, it's a sudden, radical, and complete change from the way things that are normally done. So a love, a love revolution is gonna be sudden and it's gonna be radical and it's gonna be completely different than what's going on right now. And he pointed out that the world is a dark place, that these are extremely unprecedented times. And he said the world more than ever needs love. And then we have this creed that you saw in the video just now. This is our creed in the love revolution. I take up compassion and surrender my excuses and I stand against injustice and commit to live out simple acts of God's love. I refuse to do nothing. This is my resolve. I am the love revolution. And the thing I like about the creed is it makes it really personal because this is a personal thing. It begins with individuals. In week two, Eddie shared 1 Corinthians 13 with us and he shared with us uh, that chapter that tells us what love is and what love is not. And then he said that we need to ask God to set us up to love others. And then last week, Chase told us that those of us who have been loved should love. And he took us to the cross and he talked about how every drop of blood that Jesus shed had a name on it. And then we shared in communion together to remember the price that Jesus paid for our sin. We're trying to get a different view of life. We're trying to change our perspective. We've tried to give you a different way to live your life if you consider yourself to be a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, or you're not a church person, if you're still trying to figure all of this stuff out, this is a great day for you to be here, and it's a great day for you to be watching online. I hope to share something with you today that may give you a renewed interest and a new hope when it comes to this whole Christian thing, this whole love thing. And perhaps today for the very first time you will realize that God loves you and that he's invited you into his family. Now, 
One of the most important aspects of any business or any endeavor is a brand. When you see a company's logo, something comes to mind. If, if I throw some brands up here, you'll have an immediate response. Let me just see if I can get a response and don't be afraid to respond. Here's number one. David said it, my pleasure. Some of you, the first thing you thought was my pleasure. Some of you thought, man, Chick-fil-A, and then you realize I can't have it today. No Chick-fil-A today. My pleasure closed on Sunday. How about this one? Somebody said culture. Starbucks is all about culture. They don't, they don't serve coffee, they serve an experience. And when some of you saw this, you thought, oh man, I, I could go for a hot cup right now. Some of you thought addiction. That's not good. Some of you thought addiction when you saw that. How about this one? Oh, you could hear it in the room. Everybody said, oh. When you see that, certain things come to mind. You might think the happiest place on earth. Uh, you might say, man, my wallet's a lot lighter than it was before we went to Disney. You guys probably know that in 1955, when Walt Disney opened Disneyland, he said, we're not selling rides, we're not selling attractions, we're selling happiness. That's why that logo makes you happy, because that's what they're all about. How about this one? Some of you, when you see that, you go, dun, 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 dun. This is like the evil empire, right, for some of you? Some of you think championships. Some of you think bring your own guts. But it, it says something. It, it elicits a response from you. And then I'm an equal opportunity speaker. That, that's a pretty awesome looking chicken. And, and I will say this. There's great news. You're not going to lose the Clemson this year. I'm just, it's just the fact. It's just the truth. I'm just here to tell you all the truth today. When, when I throw these brands up here, they, they say something to you. They speak right to your heart. And here's something I believe with all of my heart. Christianity has a branding problem. We're not necessarily known for what we're supposed to be known for. Because Jesus said that we would be known for our love. And I want to unpack that a little bit today. But let's talk for a moment about what we are known for. Are you familiar with the name Anne Rice? Anne Rice is a well-known American author. She's written over 30 books that have sold almost 100 million copies. She writes about vampires, junk like that. In fact, if you've seen the movie Interview with a Vampire, she wrote the novel that the, that the movie was based on. Anyway, Anne Rice was raised in the church and when she turned 18, she basically left the church and she went off to pursue her writing. But in her late 50s, she came back to the church and even wrote some Christian books. Her book, Called Out of Darkness, is her spiritual confession. It's quite an interesting read. So she's back in church and walking with Jesus, and then in 2010, she quit. She got on Facebook, and she quit Christianity. Now, she didn't quit following Jesus. She quit Christianity. And this is what she said. Today, I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not to being Christian or doing part of Christianity. 
It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. That's a fellow Christ follower describing us. And this is my point. We need to understand that the world's view of Christianity is that we are quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and a deservedly infamous group. And listen, that was 10 years ago. Unfortunately, I don't believe our reputation has improved over the last 10 years. And actually, it's worse than that. She points out that we are seen as judgmental, homophobic moralists who think that they're the only ones going to heaven and they secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. That's kind of the reputation of Christians in Christianity. That's how maybe some of you see Christianity and the church. Christianity has a branding problem. Now, we are called Christians. And we call ourselves Christians because somewhere along the way, somebody invited us to be a Christian or we prayed a prayer and we became a Christian. Well, the truth is the term Christian only appears in the Bible three times. And it was a derogatory term that non-Jesus followers used to describe Jesus followers. And here's the important thing. Christian is not defined in the Bible. Christian is not defined. So that means you could be a Christian and it can mean anything. You could be a Christian and believe just about anything. That's why there's Christians on both sides of every political and social issue. And that's why Christians wage war against one another on social media. That's why Christians attack non-Christians on social media. It's, it's really not difficult to understand why we have a branding problem. So this is what you discover when you read the accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. Jesus referred to his followers as disciples. Now this gets a little scary because disciple is clearly defined. In fact, disciple is very narrowly defined. Disciple, follower, learner, pupil, adherent, those who signed up with Jesus. Now when Jesus got his disciples together at the very end, got his followers together at the very end, after he had told parables and preached sermons and performed miracles, after they had seen him for years, he gathered his closest disciples, his closest followers together in a room where they shared their last Passover meal and he began to say, okay, this is it. This is the last time I have an opportunity to say anything to you, so this is really important. You need to pay attention. And this is what he said. One of his followers, John, wrote it down. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He reduced his entire ministry to one sentence. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There, there's that word, disciple, follower, learner,
pupil, adherent, those who signed up with Jesus. Your love will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus could not be clearer. If you love one another, everybody will know that you are my disciple. Everyone will know that you're my follower. And listen, it will not be what you believe. It's not about what you do on Sunday morning. I want people to identify with you based on this one thing. It's about how you treat each other, and it's about how you treat other people. One day Jesus was teaching, and some people came to him, and they asked him a trick, a trick question. They, they were always trying to trick Jesus with questions, but he was really smart. In fact, sometimes Jesus wouldn't even answer the questions because he knew, excuse me, he knew their intent. And they asked him this one time, what is the most important commandment? Of all the laws and commandments, which is the greatest commandment? And they all had their answers in mind, and they're all looking for answers, and, 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 but they're not really looking for answers. They're really looking for Jesus to stumble. They wanted to know how Jesus would answer the question. What is the most important command? There were over 600 laws in the Old Testament. Of the 613, which is the most important? And this is how he answered. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And, and before they could raise their hands to ask another question, he said, a second. They were like, wait, 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 we just asked for one. Jesus was like, I can't just give you one because there's a second one just like it. It is equally important. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see that you can't separate that from love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? And before they could raise their hands to ask another question, Jesus said something of such extraordinary significance. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. All of the law, all 613 commandments, all of the prophets, everything that would be written after Christ left, all of it hangs on love God and love your neighbor. All of it. All the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do all those things, thou shalt not do. All those things, then all the things that will be added later by teachers in the New Testament, like do your work as unto the Lord. As husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Like wives, submit to your husbands. All the teaching of the prophets, all the teaching of the law, all the instructions, all the exhortations that would follow, they hang on these two commands. Do you know what that means? That means that every time we, every time we pick up our Bibles, every time we teach a lesson, every time you go to a life group discussion, every time we look to see what we should do in a particular situation, Every time we say, what does it say about this? What does it say about them? What does it say about that group? What does it say about my wife? What does it say about my husband? What does it say about raising children? What does it say about my ethics? What does it say about my morality? What does it say about my sex life? What does it say about anything? Every time you pick up the scripture to find a law, 
Every time we pick up the scripture, you know, to find a command, to pick, to find a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, and the scripture's full of all those kinds of things that instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go. Jesus said, every time you pick it up, make sure you look at all that through the filter of love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what Jesus is really saying? He's saying, don't you dare use my law to hurt people. Don't you dare use my law to exclude people. All of it, the law, the prophets, it all must be filtered through this one thing, Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Now here's the deal with us. We try to find loopholes. We, we try to find a way around loving God and loving people. We, we try to place the focus somewhere else. So that brings us to this very important question. If we're really going to love if there's really going to be a revolution, we must ask this question. What does love require of me? If following Jesus is all about love, if it's all about loving God and loving my neighbor as myself, then every day, in every situation, I must ask, what does love require of me? Every single day, in every situation, what does love require of me? with my husband, with my wife, with my children, with the people I work for and the people I work with, what does love require of me? With my actual neighbor, with my classmate, with the person in line with me at the grocery store, what does love require of me? See, th this is the game changer. For many of us like me who grew up in the church, this is the game changer. And, and here's why. My inclination is to look at the commands and to forget about the intent of the commander. See, I'm inclined to pick up my Bible and say, you ought to do this, you need to do that, you have to do this. Do you see what it says right here? And Jesus says, before I get there, I must ask, what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? What does love require of me? Listen, even if you're not ready to really get into this, if you're a Jesus follower, follower, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, if you're somebody who would say to the best of my ability, I take the commands of scripture seriously, then you owe it to yourself in every relationship, in every conversation, in every conflict, you owe it to yourself to pause and ask this question, what does love require of me? And listen, this is brilliant. So here's Jesus. He has a handful of followers. He had no influence. He had no leverage. He lives in what amounts to the armpit of the Roman Empire and nobody cares, and nobody's paying attention, and he could have said anything he wanted. But this is the message that God gave to him as he was establishing the movement that became the church, and, and there's so many things that he could have said. By your blank, everybody will know that you're my disciples. Fill in the blank. By your, fill in the blank. He, he could have said anything. He could have filled in the blank with any of a hundred brilliant things that he said. The brilliance in what he did say 
is found in our own personal experience. Think about it this way. There are two types of people who have influenced you profoundly. There are two types of people that have made you the husband and the father that you are. There are two types of people that have made you the mother and the wife that you are. There are two types of people, you know, that have set you up to be successful in your relationships. There's two types of people that have set you up in your dating life, in your search for a life partner. There are two types of people that have set you up to be able to relate to people successfully or set you up in such a way that you struggle with how you relate to people. And these two types of people did not influence you because of what they believed. It wasn't because they were or were not Christian. The two types of people that have had more to do with who you are today are those who have hurt you and those who have loved you. We are most impacted by those who have hurt us deeply and those who have loved us profoundly. In fact, if you ever find yourself in a situation when you need to work through some things with a counselor, you will find yourself right here. And let me tell you what's so confusing about this. Many of you, many, excuse me, many of us, many in our culture, many in our, in our country have been hurt deeply by people who had accurate theology. We, we've been hurt deeply by people who believed all of the right things. We, we've been hurt deeply by people who never missed a Sunday before COVID. We've been hurt deeply by people who know every chapter and every verse for every sin that we've ever committed. We've been hurt deeply by people who from the outside look like fine, upstanding citizens, but behind the scenes, they just took the life out of us and they destroyed our souls and they set us up for an adult experience that has been so painful and so difficult. On the other hand, some of us have moved into adulthood with extreme, extraordinary self-esteem and with an extraordinary outlook on life and with extraordinary potential because somebody loved us deeply. And maybe they weren't theologians or able to find the right chapter and the right verse. And they couldn't tell all the stories in the Bible. And maybe they weren't all that consistent with their church attendance, but they gave you something much better. They loved you. It may have been a parent or a coach, a principal, a teacher, somebody who came alongside you in a life group. It may have been somebody who showed up in your mid-20s and just poured into you. For the first time in your life, you experienced unconditional love. It, it spoke right to your heart and your soul. They loved you. Let me say it this way. The way that you've been treated has a greater impact on you than what you believe. The way that you've been treated has more to do with who you are than what you believe. That is why what Jesus said is so extraordinarily profound. And that is why it is so extraordinarily, extraordinarily important that those of us who say we are his followers get this. Folks, this is as good as it gets. This is what we must leverage. 
This is our greatest opportunity. It's all about love. You see, somewhere, somehow along the line, there was a shift from behave to believe. When the church first started and when Jesus launched his movement, it was all about how you love. But over time, it became all about what you believe, what you believe, what you believe. Well, well listen, if, if we would simply do what Jesus did, instead of arguing about what Jesus said, the world would change. If we would simply do what Jesus did and stop arguing about what Jesus said, the world would change. And the reputation of Christ followers would change. And our brand would change. And the influence of the church would change. Here's the truth. Believing is easy. It requires almost nothing. But behaving it requires a new worldview. Jesus did not say, a new command I give you, believe correctly. Everybody will know you're my disciples by what you believe. Do you know how much time and energy and publishing has been spent around people who say they follow Jesus, arguing with each other about exactly what Jesus meant by what Jesus said? But listen, it wasn't always that way. It was simple. It was love one another. It was always about this question, what does love require of me? And it's so brilliant because Jesus knew our hearts. Over and over again in the scripture, you see that Jesus knew the heart. Jesus always knew the heart and he always interact, interacted with people based on their story. And in every situation, he answered the question, what does love require of me? That's the reason that he hung on the cross, because that's what love required of him. Can you imagine what would happen in our families? Can you imagine what would happen in our community? Can you imagine what would happen in our nation if all of, us who, all of us, those of us who name the name of Jesus would put down all of our weapons and all of our objections and all of our theological distinct, distinctives and we decided for a week, for a month, for a year, I'm simply going to ask this question, what does love require of me? L listen, if you wanna influence people, you have two choices. You have two options. You can hurt them deeply or you can love them profoundly. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. Now let's see if we can make this extremely practical. How, how do we live this out? How do we take this out of the theoretical and live it out? Let me just give you three statements today. First of all this, don't do anything that will hurt you. Love requires that you don't do anything that will hurt you. Your heavenly Father loves you, and anything that hurts you hurts him. Listen, if you want to get me fired up, hurt my kids or my grandkids. That'll get me fired up. God loves you. Anything that hurts you hurts him. 
What does love require of you? Love requires that you never make a moral decision, a sexual decision, an ethical decision, a relational decision, a professional decision that hurts you. Because when you hurt you, you hurt the one and the ones that love you the most. God loves you and that requires that you take care of you. Secondly, don't do anything that will hurt somebody, hurt somebody else. What does love require of you? It requires that you don't do anything to hurt anyone else. Lo love requires that we never make a decision or do anything or say anything that hurts another person. Because every person that we have ever looked in the eye is somebody that your heavenly father sent his son to die for. Everyone you ever speak to, e even your worst enemies, the people that can't stand you, the people who have hurt you the most are people for whom Christ died. Here's what makes this so tough. Our lives involve confrontation and confession. There are times when the loving thing to do is confront, and there are times when the loving thing to do is confess. What does love require of me? And then finally, don't be mastered by anything. You see, whenever we're mastered by something, it affects our ability to love. You see, nobody should have to compete with your overconsumption of alcohol. Nobody should have to compete with your consumption of porn. Nobody should have to compete with your addiction to, pres to prescription drugs. Nobody should have to compete with your anger. Nobody should have to compete with your temper. Nobody should have to compete with whatever owns you. What does love require of you? Love requires that you get rid of anything in your life that competes with Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If you're enslaved to anything else, it affects your ability to love. Don't do anything to hurt you, don't do anything to hurt anybody else, and don't be mastered by anything. And, and listen, here's what we do. When I was giving you that list, some of you were thinking about somebody else. Man, I'm glad my husband heard that. Oh, my son really needs to hear that. I, I have a friend that really needs to hear that. What if we just decided to let God take care of them and we decided to take care of ourselves? What does love require of me? What are you known for? What are we known for? I can tell you this, you cannot preach or legislate people out of habits, addictions, poor relationships, racism, or injustice. None of that happens through preaching or legislation. It happens because of love. We need a love revolution. And we must ask, what does love require of me? What does love require of me?
Would you stand with me for just a minute? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? What does love require of me? Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. And we are so thankful that when love required that he go to the cross, he willingly went to pay for our sin. And we are so thankful that he was obedient and so thankful that he rose again to give us a life worth living. Father, our prayer today is that we would embrace this question. That we would somehow come to the end of ourselves today. And in every situation, in every relationship, in every walk of our life, Father, that we would come to understand that the world only changes through love. Father, I pray that we would not leave this place today unchanged. And you might want to pray with me today, just say, Heavenly Father, I can be honest enough to say that I've come up short in this area of love. And I just want to be able to ask this question and answer it every day, Lord. What does love require of me? And perhaps you're in the room today or you're watching online, you're out in the atrium and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I wanna tell you that Jesus Christ died to pay for your sin. You're probably like me, you probably feel like, you know, most days you don't even live up to your own standards, much less God's. And you realize today that you're a sinner and you need a savior. Would you pray this to save? Father God, I, I know that I'm a sinner. I, I know that, that I've come up short. I don't live up to my own standards, much, much less yours. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that he rose again to give me a new life. And I accept him and I embrace him as my savior today. I give my life to him. I wanna be a disciple, a pupil, a learner, a follower. I sign up with Jesus today. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys do me one favor? If you accepted Christ today, would you go out to our Next Steps area of the atrium, go to our Next Step area. If you're watching online, hopefully you have the app open. Would you just go to the Next Steps area and say, hey, I accepted Christ today. We want to pray for you. We want to embrace you. Maybe you have another need. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you today. Go out to our next steps area. If you're new here, go out to the new here area. We want to start a revolution. We know it starts with each one of us. We want to help you in your faith journey. We want to help you take your next step. Come and see us today. Ask us how, tell us how we can pray for you. If you don't want to come out and see us out there, get on the app. Send us a message. God bless you. I hope you guys have a great day. Let's worship together. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure to let us know by connecting with us online at marathonchurch.org. If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. 
To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at marathonchurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thanks for listening to the Marathon Church Podcast.